You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. Before I begin today's episode, yes, I have a quote to share with you. Productivity isn't about being a workhorse, keeping busy or burning the midnight oil. It's more about priorities, planning, and fiercely protecting your time. Comes from Margarita Tartovsky. Whenever you're listening to this, this episode's coming out, out during the new year, but when you're listening to this, it could be whenever. But remember, we all have the same amount of time. It's a matter of how productive you are with every moment that you use. So turn those dings and buzzes off on your cell phone. You don't need to know everything or each time an email comes through. Trust me, I've done it and it's helped me immensely. And you are listening to episode number 223. And today I was supposed to have two guests, brothers who've started a business from the ground up. Well, because I've made many mistakes during my podcasting career, and Michael so gracefully covers many, many of them up that you might not even recognize or know happened. Today, you'll have one brother, Andrew Perez, as my guest. I made a mistake, and Andrew's brother, Alex, was not able to connect for the interview. And my apologies to everyone listening and to Andrew and Alex Perez. Well, these brothers started High Point Cider Company from a mere idea. They started with their idea before the pandemic came, or even we even thought there was a pandemic, or even knew one was around. And they did not allow it to prevent them from launching their cider company. Now, that is focus, folks. It's focus, planning, and setting priorities, and the details that Andrew will share with you today. I do remember before they even started the company, we had lunch and they asked me about the idea and I thought it was a great idea. Now we sell lots of their cider. Cheers to these two brothers, to Alex and Andrew for sticking to their dream, working hard, prioritizing their time and seeing their efforts bear cider. Haha, <laughs> How about that pun? Andrew, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to sit down and talk with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. So we all come from someplace and started off before we landed here, except for those very few people who were, who've been born and raised here in Jackson. Fortunate enough for that. I don't believe you were born and raised here. So curious to know where you were born and, and grew up. I am not born and raised here, and my brother was not born and raised here. We grew up in southern New Hampshire, so we we're probably 40, 45 minutes like north of Boston, and it was kind of right on the edge of where the like Boston suburb kind of meets like New Hampshire wilderness ruralness as far as the East Coast considers wilderness. I hear southern New Hampshire. First you said southern and then New Hampshire. <laughs> I was like, you have no Southern accent whatsoever. 
Is this a southern New Hampshire accent? The only discernible accent that I think I might have is I definitely picked up a bit of a Canadian accent because I used to live in Burlington, Vermont and race bikes with a bunch of Canadians, which Mm. means I used to heckle a bunch of Canadians. And then with words Mm. like out, out and about, people say that I have a Canadian accent. Sometimes it slips. And what type of bicycles were you racing? Oh, back when I was stupid and didn't know the ways of the ways of how fun mountain bikes can be. It was all like road racing and cyclocross racing, which mountain bikes are way better. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go downhill a lot more. Yeah, and like getting taken out in a crit going like 35 around a 90 degree corner or something usually leaves half of your body pretty chewed up as a Did that happen crit. to you? yes yeah definitely definitely gotten a lot of lot of road rash from road races oh that's that's rough but you got back on yeah it's fun and then you realize that mountain bikes are more fun so why do that on pavement sure and so you grew up in new hampshire do you and do you go to college yeah yeah so that was part of burlington i went to uh, the university of vermont my high school guidance counselor senior year told me it was better to pick a major going in than just going in undecided so i thought mm-hmm. biochemistry sounded cool and then four years and a couple teeth kickings later i graduated with a bs in biochemistry which was awesome i was really fortunate and was able to do some undergraduate research during that time and the the assistant faculty who was their assistant professor who was my mentor at the time was absolutely awesome and one of the best mentors slash friends anyone could have hoped for. That's awesome. College, university opens up many doors, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And did you follow that world of biochemistry at some point? Yeah. So I moved right after graduation. My best friend growing up was starting a PhD program out at University of Wisconsin Madison top uh-huh. 10 programs are really good for really strong, like hard science programs. Spring senior year, he just called me and asked me if I wanted to move to Madison, Wisconsin with him to, you know, just hang out while he starts his PhD program. I said, sure. I raced bikes and Uber drove for, you know, basically that summer. And then I was like, okay, it's time to be grow up and be a real boy and get a real job. And Madison has a ton of biotech companies vis-a-vis those strong like hard science programs from the university and so i ended up working it was very similar to a lot of the research and lab work that i had been doing as an undergraduate which was awesome but then it was also kind of a kick in the pants of it was kind of the double edge of the reason I got hired was I could do these things and I already knew how to do them, but that didn't leave a lot of room for learning. So I actually found that job like quite boring. It was on the production side. It was basically scaling up, um, basically growing specific types of cancer cells that we had put a couple specific genes into, like that gene that makes things glow green. So basically pharma companies could use these and see, oh, if I trigger this cell signaling pathway, which may or may not be good for my drug, 
I can then look at these under a microscope and see that this little handshake has happened because the cell is glowing green or something like that. The, the concepts of it was really cool, but then doing that in a clean room and spending multiple hours a day, a week, making cells inside of a clean room isn't super glamorous or exciting or stimulating. Sounds quite repetitive. Incredibly repetitive. So like the the final product we were actually like packaging and selling was probably a couple hundred microliters. It might have been a milliliter of finished product, which is like a pretty small total volume. And that group was working on basically building a robot to like do that for us because we would have to be in a hood, unscrew a tiny little like sterile vial, dispense you know, one milliliter of cells into it and then like twist this vial cap back on and do that as many times within an hour as you could. And I remember being so bored that I just gamified that so I didn't go insane to see how fast I could go. And I was faster than the robot that they were designing to replace that job. And I was like, this is one, I don't like this. And two, something needs to change. So did you go back to biking? Um, biking kind of stayed on the back burner. I The great thing about that job was a lot of times in science, you just kind of end up, or specifically in like biology, you just end up waiting for like the biology to be ready. So I was a salaried employee and depending on the day could usually condense all the things I needed to do within like five or six hours out of a eight hour work day. So then I just leave and go ride my bike, which was awesome. And so what decided to bring you out here and what year did you land here in, in this area? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So after being at the biotech for a little bit, a grad student I used to work with called me and was like, hey, I work at this consulting firm and I think it's something that you would be good at if you are looking for a change. And I was like, I am looking for a change because... This whole biotech thing is pretty boring. So flew back out to the East Coast, learned a whole lot in a pretty condensed amount of time about never went to school for like finance or anything, right? I was hard science analytical through and through. And I was basically the like quantitative analyst, financial modeler type guy, which again, I'd never had any experience doing and had to learn how to do it very, very quickly. And then after a couple years of doing that, it was kind of the typical consultant just burn out of it was a lot of hours and a lot of work and the pay was pretty okay. But at the end of the day, it's not super rewarding to try and figure out how to like maximize profit for large, very, very large corporations. And it was the week is on one or two red eyes that week. And then my brother in 2018 just happened to call me and he was like, Hey, do you want to quit your job? It's like, I absolutely want to quit my job. Cool. Do you want to move to Jackson hole and start a cider company? That's very interesting. So two weeks later, I booked a plane ticket and flew out to Jackson hole. And like six weeks later, I was driving across the country with all of my possessions. And and what prompted your brother to want to start a cider company in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Yeah. So we grew up on an apple orchard and we never like produced cider out of it really. But cider was big back on the East Coast. And then the time between college and the then 
present day of 2018, both of our parents realized that they were super, super allergic to gluten and that that allergy is incredibly hereditary. So mm. then I also found out that I was incredibly allergic to gluten. And as Alex, my brother, tells it, he was floating down the river on the 4th of July. And this was kind of before like the advent of hard seltzers and all of that took the market by storm. And he was just floating down thinking like there's just not if it was back east or something like he'd just have a can of cider floating down the river but he's like there's no really place that i can like go get that which then transitioned into like no one around here is really making kind of like canned modern american hard cider which then transitioned to he was working sales at ge at the time moved to jackson because he wanted to enjoy all of the all of the things that make Jackson Jackson and then realized that he probably wasn't unhappy because of where he was living. He was probably unhappy because of what he was doing for work. And all of that kind of culminated from, huh, you can't really get cider out here too. We should start a cider company in the Tetons. Big, big move for you two, for you and your brother to say, we're going to leave these big jobs that we have that are, I guess, in some ways quite secure to go start your own thing. Yes. The kicker is we had both quit our jobs to start a cider company before we'd ever made a single batch of cider. Hey, if you're going <laughs> to do it, jump into it. Which, saying that out loud, <laughs> seems really dumb. And if someone told me I'm going to go quit my job to go do something I've never done before, I would ask them several follow-up questions probably from a place of concern, but there's definitely something to not knowing what you don't know. How so in, in what you guys did? I mean, there's the like naivete and like overconfidence of being, you know, young, dumb, overconfident in yourself, all of those good things. Fermentation science isn't necessarily overly hard or difficult but it is incredibly, incredibly nuanced. So it's not technically challenging. It doesn't require a PhD to be able to do it. It just requires an immense amount of care throughout the entire process as you're doing these things. So we got out here and bought just about every book we could read on how to make cider, but the cider market, especially in this country, excuse me, in my view is kind of divided um there's kind of two schools of thought right now one of them is kind of the school that we're in and it's that cider or at least this modern american style of cider is you know we're just trying to make it lower price point really accessible to the consumer something that tastes good has high quality ingredients all that good stuff but at the end of the day we're not taking six months nine months we're not aging things in oak barrels to get these products at the door, which in general has kind of been the MO for a lot of smaller craft cider producers, Just cool. You can make some really interesting, stylistically different, delicious ciders that like were straight up basically not able to make just because of like the production investments that we've made. It just doesn't quite line up for producing those types of cider but the kicker is no one tells you how to make the fast churn modern american stuff because the only people who are doing it are basically existing corporations who aren't going to tell you how they're doing their 
core business function. So it's like one of the first books we read. It's a really good book. It's written by a French guy, John Claudeau, or something like that. And I think in the introduction of it, so before we even get to any of the cider part, it basically said, if your cider doesn't take a year to make, it's not worth making. Well, Whoa. we're very far apart on that issue. So yeah, and that's like going into the back when we met and stuff, like we were in our living room in the queue space for a little bit, which we're very, very fortunate to let, or rather we were very, very fortunate that Gavin just let us go in and use that space because it's way easier to make a mess in a room that has floor drains and just hose everything down than make a mess yeah, in the living room and go, cool, I need to live here too. And just not having any any space in the house to live in. God, that was awful. <laughs> so awful. So when did you and your brother launch your first product line? Yeah, so we were probably doing 10 fermentations every month from probably winter fall 2018 through through probably the summer of 2021 fall of 2021 and all of that was just recipe iterations so we probably did 200 plus individual little five gallon fermentations of cider all homebrew equipment all this stuff most of those in the living room just trying to dial in which yeast are we going to use what type of ginger are we going to use just trying to answer all of these recipe related questions what's the contact time etc cetera, etc cetera. the kicker with alcohol is unlike baking breads or something like this because it's a fermented product we couldn't go to the people's market or farmers markets with our you know little six pack bottles of cider and sell it because according to the government that's bootlegging and is super legal so we had to wait until we were basically operational and fully licensed at our facility in victor before we could start actually making and selling cider so we didn't definitely did not especially if anyone from the ttb is listening we did not sell any cider for those initial three years we put a lot of cider down down the whole bathtub drain oh man <laughs> because we i mean so we're you... we're poor too right we had 10 kegs and we were doing 10 firms a month so if those kegs hadn't been drunk by us or our friends by the next month like well we need that keg so i can put the most current firm in it <laughs> right what a commitment to start off like that you guys were willing to go for your best your highest quality i mean 10 batches you said a week 10 a month 10 a month yeah and that was over what two years pretty much yeah and they're like some months were down some months were up but yeah it was basically 10 yeah. a month for for two years every one of those being a slightly different iteration variation condition always testing always trying to iterate just as fast as possible because uh, what we learned very quickly is there's not going to be a lot of external help or resources available for how to do this so time to learn how to do it as fast as possible and how did you guys acquire your fruit what type of fruit were you guys using or do you use 
Yeah, that's a great question. So we, at that time, we were working with kind of a network of family farms and a press facility down in Colorado, down on the West Slope of Colorado is a fantastically wonderful climate for fruit. As soon as you start climbing out of like Grand Junction up kind of into the, into the mountains, there's a really temperate climate zone from like seven to 9,500 feet or something where there's awesome pears or peaches rather if you've ever had the palisade peaches that come through town like it's just a fantastic fruit growing region but then once we got to our new facility kind of outstepped or matched like the capacity that those farms and that press facility could keep up with so we transitioned to a juice supplier out of washington so we get and even back when we were doing it out of the living rooms we didn't have room to do any pressing or store apples like i barely had room for like my bed in the apartment and at this point now we're shipping in full tankerfuls of juice 5500 gallons at a time each gallon is anywhere from eight to twelve kind of like fist-sized dessert or no not gallon each pint is like four to six kind of fist-sized dessert apples and there's roughly 10-ish pints in a gallon so we would be we would be looking at a significant semi-fulls of apples in order to hit the same amount of like juice production that we're getting just then also like Teton Valley, Wyoming isn't exactly set up to literally have to like process or compost a mountain of apple husks. Yeah, the just the waste from the press would be colossal. Yeah, because we'd need to ship quite a in. Process, process to find ways to get rid of that safely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then it's also from a you know carbon perspective and stuff like that too. We'd be sending in three to four to five trucks where if we press it closer to the orchard, it's just one truck. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But yeah, the apples are used and they're all, it's a dessert blend. So they're basically all apples you would see at the supermarket that basically aren't pretty enough to make it to the supermarket. So they get smashed into cider, smashed into apple juice and stuff like that. But the juice we get inbound is incredibly tasty it's probably the freshest juice you can get around here save for pressing it yourself it usually gets pressed either that day or maybe like the night before pumped onto a truck and it's anywhere from 10 to 14 hours for the truck to show up here so it's it's basically zero day old when it lands at high point and i definitely just pull a pint off of the tanker and drink it while it's <laughs> filling the tanks that's awesome so andrew we're going to take a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors and then have some questions for you fantastic teton county solid waste and recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in teton county every year This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle and join today.
Andrew, welcome back. We're talking about you and your brother, Alex, decided to start a cider company. Knew nothing about making cider, much less there wasn't really any helpful information to make the type of cider that you wanted to make. Did you and your brother ever feel that getting into this, it's like have that time where, what are we doing? We we shouldn't be doing this. All the time. That's, yeah, all the time. Why did you guys keep it, keep going? What kept um, it going? I think this comes down to, I think one of the lessons, unexpected learnings that both he and I shared is if you're going to start a business, get a partner to do it with. There were, I'm trying to think, the probably the lowest of the low was, this was probably, this was probably spring of 2019 or maybe summer of 2019. We'd iterated through probably four or five different locations, concepts, business plans, locations in Jackson, and none of them were going to work. So we didn't have an immediate step forward on a location to actually make this business a business, which as we touched on before, until we had that, we couldn't start generating revenue. And we also got a cease and desist for the current name that we were like operating under. We used to be called Solitude Cider. We've since rebranded to High Point Cider because apparently Solitude is a, a tiny little wine brand that's part of a larger umbrella portfolio or something. And they basically told us to stop using that name or there's going to be a lot of problems, which was a learning for us because that's when we learned that cider is technically wine. And if you can think of all of the differently named wineries there are in the country, there are a lot of names that you cannot use as a cider company because someone already owns them or has trademarked them for wine. So that was probably the lowest of the low. We had no concrete steps forward because we had it was to the point where multiple times I had driven block by block around Jackson Hole and was literally like, oh, that's a warehouse. Oh, there's a window. I'm going to go see if there's anything in it. And we had exhausted just about every known location in Jackson proper. So not having a path forward, very disheartening, and then getting a cease and desist. It was like, cool. So not only do we not mm. have a concept to move forward with, we also don't even have a name anymore. This is pretty not fun. But I'd say other than that, one of the things that really kept us going other than the shared vision was be it fate or coincidence or someone just having a stiffer upper lip on some days it never seemed like alex or i both had a bad day on the same day and i think just like looking over at the other person being like ah shit alex still wants to do this i guess i have to do it and just keep like keeping going forward yeah there's some there's some dark days for sure and so now you found a place in idaho what prompted yes. you to go over there versus maybe going down to Alpine or doing it in Pinedale or Bondurant? Yep. We have, we were and had been looking at once Jackson was like, it's, it's going to be incredibly prohibitive for us to do it here. Or we're now going to be adding like years amount to this timeline because we'll have to like find funding to build the building or something like that we had been exploring we never 
really looked at Bondurant, I guess. That gets difficult from like shipping things into Bondurant. Definitely we're looking at Alpine. We're definitely looking at Victor. And we're pretty 50-50 on like just either can work. Let's just see if we can find a space. And then very fortuitously, Silicon Kular, because this was pre-COVID, was still doing their chance meetings in person. And we met Mikey Franco at one of those chance meetings, started talking to him. And he, with one of his clients, was developing a a strip of warehouses, production for their industrial park, basically over in Victor. So that ultimately was very fortuitous and is where we are today. Nice. Just meeting somebody over a cocktail. Yep. Yeah, that's that's part of the magic of, a, you know, one Silicon Kular, but I think also kind of a reflection of the Jackson community is, yeah, it can be a cocktail at the Rose. It can be, you know, it can be a Gandhi at JHMR. Like you never know who you're going to sit next to and you never know what either they know or might be able to be like, oh, that massive problem you're having. Yeah, like no worries. I, I That's right in my wheelhouse. I can just wave my fingers, snap my fingers, whatever, and make it go away. Like, wow. <laughs> and now that you guys are on the shelves, how much are you guys making a year? Like when you first, the first time that you got it on the shelves and then to now, because you're a few years into it now. Yeah. Yeah. April, 2021, we, I was just pulling some end of year reporting. We 3.2 X our production capacity from 2021 to 2022. The majority of that being distributed sales, right? The taproom's awesome. It's a fantastic kind of community gathering spot. It's fantastic to see all of the engagement and events that we're doing ultimately just thinking of it from a like volume perspective there's only so much cider we can sell at one bar so then trying to get in as many store shelves as many breweries etc like that has always kind of been our vision just because that that is scalable we're not good or well experienced in kind of the hospitalities, restaurant, taproom, et cetera, industry. So trying to copy and paste those is a model that a lot of people or a lot of other brands have had success with. Currently, we're not in a place where like we could do that well, I don't think, because I'm not great at running a taproom. I don't really want to run a taproom. Our taproom manager, Kate Driscoll, is fantastic. <laughs> she does a lot of lot of the hard work that I don't know how to do, which is wonderful. But from a production perspective, I mean, we went from one of the like, oh my goodness, why are we doing this moments came the first batch in the new facility. We went from only ever doing five gallon batches, one fermenter at a time, right? Our first batch at uh, the the Victor facility, we went straight into a 1,240-gallon batch because that's how big our fermenters were now. So it's like a 250x, something like that, increase in batch size, which was absolutely and abjectly horrifying <laughs> the first time. And now it's like we're... We're doing about a tanker a month, which is about 5,500 gallons a month. So we just 
overshot by a little bit. We just broke a thousand barrels of production for 2021 or not 2022 is the year we're currently in. We just crossed a thousand barrels for 2022. We're at probably 30 to 40% operational capacity. And all of that has transitioned in 18 months, 20 months from being like this one tank is horrifying and I've never worked with anything Mm -hmm. this big to just being able to get cider in, get cider out. It's been awesome. Now to go from that five gallon batch to, you said it's a 1200 gallon fermenter. Yep. Is it as easy as like doubling the recipe for a batch of cookies? In some ways it is. And in some ways it isn't. And we've learned that it's not always linear. It depends on the product you're trying to make. It depends on the underlying juice blend. And if you have to do any like inbound chemistry to get it where you want to be, none of which we knew at the time. So yeah, we were just assuming slash hoping slash praying that it is just like doubling your batch of cookies, except it's like 200 doublings your batch of cookies, or I guess 100 doublings your batch of cookies. Yeah, it was crazy. It was not what we initially wanted to do. We wanted to do a half batch, but I did that. I think I very quickly did some math wrong. So then in order to like get it back to where we wanted to be, instead of a half batch, we were now doing a full batch. And it came out great. It was really tasty cider. But like even that, I remember sitting down with Alex and just like, at this point, we'd been tasting our own cider for, you know, two years or whatnot so it's like whether or not you have a trained palate or something if you do something that consistently like you will have a very good body of knowledge from like a flavor and trained palate perspective and we were sitting in the tap room we hadn't even been opened yet we probably weren't opening for another like four weeks and we were just having this massive existential crisis of like oh my god is the cider good enough i don't know i don't know if the ginger notes spicy enough or if the transplants appley enough so in the middle of this like freak out existential death spiral we texted max from the head brewer at Roadhouse, who's awesome, awesome guy. And I was like, Max, can you please come over and taste some cider? He's like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'll be right over. We did a tasting with him and he was basically like, you guys are morons. The cider's great. But like, whatever this is, just like, stop. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks, Max. But yeah, that, that moment is seared into my memory and I'm eternally grateful for him just like telling us to shut up and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, trying to search for perfection, you almost, (laughs) you could have ruined it all to where for other people, it it was perfect. It's just what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's like in the pursuit of quality perfection, I'm not as naive to think that we can ever achieve that, but that's something we have a lot of conversations around is quality and right it's an agricultural product the ginger batches fluctuate there's always kind of this little bit of wiggle with you could do the same thing 10 out of 10 times and you'll get 10 slightly different ciders at the end of it Mm -hmm. but in the conversation of quality they're not any worse or necessarily better they all have really good quality ingredients in them and then at the end of the day 
is a consumer going to notice that this batch is 5% spicier than the previous one? It's like, if you're not tasting these back to back day in, day out, like we are, you're probably not going to be able to tell the difference. And that's something we keep coming back to is like, just because we or I can tell the difference. Does that difference actually matter? Okay, we're good. As long as the difference isn't sacrifice quality, I don't think it does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's next for you and your brother and High Point Cider? Yeah, it's been crazy two years. We, as of September, now have distribution partners for the rest of Idaho, excluding Teton County, Utah, and Colorado. So before we were putting everything in a cider van and driving all over the place. Um, We'll still do that for the local markets, but having distributors is a blessing and a curse. And right now I would say it's almost entirely a blessing. What's next is, I mean, we're, we're rocking and rolling. We're up to, you know, a handful of employees, which is just wild to think about because it's been this thing that's just basically been me and Alex for the last three years and in the last year we've brought on or i guess as of right about now or january 1st we'll have four or five full-time employees excluding my brother and i which is wild to think about but then as far as you know the actual cider industry is concerned we're making nothing in terms of volume a thousand barrels a year is Hmm. a, a company like seattle or angry orchard like you know, they spill more cider than we make. They probably don't because that's a lot of cider to be wasting. But like the it doesn't even our total production is like a rounding error for their production mm. facilities. So we definitely have a long way to go. Our current goal is hopefully to scale it and raise a decent amount of capital to actually make some pretty significant investments into Teton County and to really, again, kind of taking inspiration from like Max and the crew over at Roadhouse and all those folks really trying to make this a sustainable company, both from the environmental perspective, but also from the employer-employee lifestyle perspective. Manufacturing jobs are kind of few and far between in the Tetons um, and basically just trying to grow and really be innovative innovators or industry leaders, both for cider in either the methods or styles and stuff that we're making, but also from a cultural and employee perspective, a, my brother and I are both very well familiar with kind of the extractive corporate climates that capitalism in this country tends to produce. So then vis-a-vis it's our company and we can make our own decisions. How can we responsibly grow this so that people maybe aren't the most excited every day to show up to the old cider factory and clock in to to make some apple juice but making it a place where truly people feel valued it's a good place to work it's fair pay for fair work stuff like that something i'm incredibly proud of is we've for our full-time folks we've offered health insurance since more or less the first people full-time signed on which as a company that's a year and a half old to offer health benefits is pretty a 
typical just generally would we have a lot more money to fund our growth if we weren't weren't shelling out for medical plans sure but also like why yeah there's still people and it's wonderful that you that's what you and your brother bring to the organization and hopefully teaching somebody else along the way who's there that how important that is that they have the for example the medical insurance that that money's not going into your pocket but it's going to them yeah yeah and you know we're not totally saints about it i don't have enough money to cover the full monthly premium for those policies but you know we split it <laughs> yeah you're doing what you can yeah sure would love to do more and hopefully we can in a couple of years when we're cruising and selling some more cider so how can people connect with you and your brother andrew yeah great question i think our high point emails are probably the best way to get in touch with either of us and those are just andrew and or alex at highpointsider.com and then we also have you know phone number contact form stuff like that on the website if you're just looking for a more kind of general request and can people find you like on facebook and instagram the high point cider company yes high point cider on instagram my brother handles all the social medias so you will definitely be able to get a hold of him on social media your mileage may vary with me on social media <laughs> fair <laughs> enough fair enough well i am excited for you guys you know before we started the interview you and your brother and i met for some thai food back in 2018 and i don't think you guys had even started a production yet even testing yet and wonderful to see that where you guys are now and, you know, we can't keep it on the shelf. It sells so fast. We have trouble yeah. keeping it stocked to where you, people buy cold. TLS, you guys plow through cider, which is wonderful. And thank you for the support. <laughs> we'll keep on making great cider, Andrew, and we'll keep on selling it, buddy. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll let you get back to it. It's raining over here today. Might snow. So see what happens. Kind of odd that it's... 40 degrees outside right now. Hopefully it's snowing higher up. I don't know that it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm awesome. sure it's doing something. Well, Andrew, thank you. Congratulations to you and your brother, Alex. And you guys are doing it. And keep on being great employers and caring about the people who come to help you guys be successful every day. Thank you so much. We will definitely keep trying as best we can. I bet you will. All right, Andrew. Awesome. Thanks so much. You got it. Take care. Happy holidays. Cheers. To learn more about Andrew and Alex Perez and High Point Cider Company, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 223. Get out there and share this podcast with your friends, family, your neighbors. I'm sure everybody can learn and experience something from the guests that I have, because I know I do. Thank you for everyone who helps keep this podcast on the air, especially my wife, Laura, my boys, Lewis and William. And of course, Michael, you are a rock star every week for doing all the editing, marketing and finding guests for me. I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. Cheers till next week when I see you right back here for another episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.